Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. So perhaps the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Welcome to today's episode of the Highlights for 2021. Three wonderful guests to share with you today, and I uh, hope you're really enjoying these highlights. Uh, it's given me great pleasure to actually bring you different snippets of the different episodes that actually happened in the interviews with my guests from around the globe. Now, today we have episode 227, which is Mel Engel, Strategic Thinking is Key to Leadership. Episode 228, Josh Fonger, and that is Work the System. There's a book out there called Work the System, and Josh is partnering with the author, and share some wonderful insights. Episode 230, Nick Sharma. The title there is called Energy is Your Currency. So listeners, can encourage you now to listen to the three snippets here, sit back and enjoy the highlights. So I was raised in the Bay Area of California back when, in 1951, before things got crazy, and find myself now as a CEO of a company in, in the cancer business, and we our goal is to eliminate cancer. So I've gone from the beginning to the end through pharmaceutical companies and also through consumer products, and uh, my claim to fame is, is I'm a financial guy, but really a strategic thinker. And I believe that strategic thinking is, is really the key to leadership. If you know where you're going, people People will want to follow you, but you don't necessarily know where you're going. That's where you need to get the input from others. So it's kind of a circular argument. The point is, is that leaders lead and followers follow. And sometimes you can you can actually learn how to lead by watching others. Leadership is not a God-given right. You don't wake up with a gene saying you're going to be a leader. You have to actually have the experience in your life to be able to make that happen. Kind of getting down a little bit of the track of where you want to go on this is, but I've been, everything I've done, I've tried to, to be in a leadership role because my father imparted a kind of a wisdom in my mind way back in the old days was that if you're not going to be a leader, get out of the road, let someone else do it. 
but either either you lead or you get the heck out of the way and you use some other terms. But it becomes a, a passion that when you have an opportunity to, to see the success of, of having others follow with you, not for you, but with you, it kind of generates additional momentum for the future. And it's, it becomes a, you learn from what you've done and, and what went right and what went wrong. And along the way, you figure out what you didn't do right and you want to make sure you didn't do that again. Mm. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some beautiful things that you've shared there. Strategic thinking is the key to leadership and uh, that's really important. And and Mel, do you see, well, before I go there, actually, let me just ask a question because you actually said you, you, you were in the Bay Area. So Bill and Dave, Packard and Hewlett, uh, Hewlett, so the HP, that's where I was born in the Bay Area there. Did you ever get to meet those two gentlemen? The uh, senior class president of my high school was was uh, Bill Hewitt's son. So that was that was cool. Though. So my next door, uh, two doors down, worked for Hewlett Packard, and he was he went to the Colorado Springs plant and actually opened it back in the fifties. So there, there's a lot of similarities there because Palo Alto is a hotbed of of you know new tech from the old from the beginning. So I, my neighbors were from all sorts of really Lockheed and so forth. It was quite a hotbed. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I've been in that area, I don't know, I was used to go so three, four, five times a year over several years in that, in that area to go to Palo Alto and that. And um, of course, we used to take some of the executives who flew in from around the world in different events that we were doing. We would take them to the garage and to the house there and uh, see the garage and so forth. And either from a distance, uh, every now and then we were able to get into the garage that was very, very rare. And yeah, that whole place, as you said, it was just where a lot of IT companies and organizations are today and um, have been and taken off from there. So strategic side of things, the, the strategic thinking. Do you feel like today that a lot of leaders are working in that strategic place or are they very tactical in what they're doing on a daily basis? I think there's a lot more techno- technical aspect to it because we're in that era. But I think that if you have a, if you surround yourself with, with people who have a a vision that that they're looking, say, 30 degrees over the horizon. Mm. You, can, can, you can only see so far, but you want to imagine what's out there, and you can actually predict the future, or you can see the the, the, the evolution of, of where things are going. Um, generally, if you can then put that into writing or in, into a verbal, or into it, somehow the people can, can follow you, you'll generate a, a following. I mean, you, you, there's leaders all over the world of, of people who have, you know, led countries into, like, in Germany, it had a you know had a leader there, but they, they it was the wrong kind of leader. But nevertheless, there are people who really want to follow those who who believe in the future. Um, or I'm not, I'm clearly of a strategic mind, and that is that if you can have the most capable people around you, I call this. There's no cloned rangers. If you want to, I want to surround myself with the best and brightest people who, who have skills outside of my own, and that way I can learn from them and, and help uh, determine the future by by using their technology and their aspects and and, and what they're uh, envisioning. But it can't just be one leader saying, follow me. You've got to have a team and you've got to have people who believe in the overall vision and then be able to make it happen. Yeah, great. And and going back to what you said there around the strategy side of things, I mean, a lot of organizations that I go into and I ask the, the senior leadership team, you know, what is the strategy of the organization? Can you tell me? And sometimes it's like, there's crickets. You, there's, they're not sure on what to articulate it to me. How come organizations are like that? How, why do they, why are some of them, there's not just some, there's quite a lot of them not able to actually articulate the strategy to somebody asking them? Well, I think that sometimes the near-term profitability gets into the, into the way of long-term thinking. And, you know, some people come into the company and they want to make a strike and, 
and make a bunch of money on stock options and move on and sell the company. And, you know, those are, that's not really strategic. That's just, that's a tactical way to get paid in the short run. And you see a lot of those churning kind of companies. The legacy companies that you see out there now are, are splitting into two and splitting into four, like General Electric and others have been around for a long time. But they're now thinking about, does it make sense for us to be the same structure as before, the same thinking as before? Should we be better off in smaller buckets? I think that kind of thinking is perhaps a little novel, but nevertheless, it, it is, it's not totally novel. It's been done oftentimes, but sometimes the leaders need to be able to say the status quo is not good enough. We're going to have to do this differently. And and how does that look? And let's just let's do a profit loss on this. What kind of cash flow are we going to get? What kind of market share are we going to get? How, what kind of message on the planet will we have? How much impact will we have? So it becomes a, a much bigger conversation at the board, I'm sure, and, and the executive chairs about, you know, where the company is going, how it's going to get there. When you, when you, I was with Smith Klein way back in 1982 when Allergan was sold. That used to be part of the business. It was, it was spun off. And it was part of Smith Klein before it was spun off. And the rationale behind that was that the P.E. ratio of Allergan by itself was more than what the, the P.E. ratio of, of Smith Klein was. And so, therefore, if you're a shareholder, you can you can enjoy that that lift as well as being able to get additional funding that you wouldn't have had before. And make, thinking out of the box allows for creative things to happen. And that's where leaders come in to be able to paint that picture for the future. And whereabouts are you in the world today? Based out of Hawaii. So big shift. I used to live in Arizona, but now I'm in the middle of the Pacific. Wow. When did you do that shift? About six months ago. Yeah. yeah. My wife was uh, pregnant with our fourth and we were like, should we make the move now or <laughs> after the baby comes? And we just made a jump for it and we've uh, been loving it so far. Excellent. Wow. Six months. That's pretty new. Yeah, that's very good. And you're in an island and I'm based in an island here in New Zealand as well. So it's we're both in the Pacific. That's very good. Excellent. <laughs> Hey, Josh, I've given our listeners a brief introduction to you. Is there anything else? Tell me more about you. Yeah, well, my background in terms of leading work the system was not on purpose. I think anyone you interview probably has a similar story of meandering to how they got where they got to. The, the quick thing is undergraduate degree is in architecture. I wanted to be a real estate developer, but then got laid off during the big, you know, the big downfall in 2007, 2008, and had to reinvent myself. During that time, I got my master's in business, and so I applied anywhere and everywhere in the real estate industry and then also any industry in terms of management. Couldn't find a job anywhere until uh, someone picked me up as a business consultant, which is exactly what I did not want to do. I did not want to be a business consultant. I actually wrote my thesis paper about why you should not hire a business consultant. So my dad really didn't like them. My father-in-law really, really didn't like business consultants. And I had an overall distaste for the industry. <laughs> so it uh, wasn't definitely by choice. But starting off as a business consultant about 15 years ago, uh, I just fell in love with the, with the career path. I loved meeting with entrepreneurs, identifying their problems, and trying to come up with you know what I call now systematic solutions that will scale. And that um, eventually led me to meet up with Sam Carpenter over 10 years ago. And then we started uh, the coaching and consulting wing of Work the System. And Work the System is a, a brand and a business based on a book called the same thing, Work the System. And now I train coaches and consultants and certify them in this method and help them to go out and fix companies using this uh, WTS method that you you talked about. So it's been quite a, quite a shift. And I love the work and I love taking solutions that work and finding out ways to make them make them scale. 
Mm, very good. And work the system, the book that was was that written by Sam, or have you both done an updated version of that book? Good question. Yeah. So Sam Carpenter wrote the first edition. Well, actually, every edition. The latest edition, the fourth edition that just came out recently, I was able to add in fifteen case studies in the back, add an epilogue, and add a few other bells and whistles to the to the book, just based on you know Sam's story. How has that impacted other companies and business owners' lives around the world? And so we got to add those elements to the book. Yeah, it must be very uh, pleasing to be able to do that and take Sam and the book and the work that you're doing with him and then bringing it to life for other people and helping them move forward, which is, that'd be pretty exciting to do. Yeah, it's an amazing opportunity. I you know thank God for that because it's tens of thousands of business books that come out every single year and they're kind of saying the same information again and again and again. And what Sam was able to do with his book is, you know, really capture the heart of a small business owner that is just stuck in the day-to-day, wants to build something that provides a lot of value, but they're just, they're in the, they're in the day to day. They're, they're, they're stuck. It really, um, connects with that story, the e-myth. A lot of people are familiar with that book as well. And it puts into practical methodology how to work your way out of that situation. And when he got the book out there originally, he wanted to just make the biggest impact he could. And, you know, Providence would have it that I met up with him. And so now I'm able to take that and really try to infuse that into as many companies as possible in the different languages and different industries. And so it's been an amazing thing. And I'm really thankful to have that opportunity because his message, though it's simple, it's applicable, right? It's applicable to so many situations. And we, we believe that simplicity is why it uh, has really taken off and it's helped so many people. I think so. I think the things that are in life that are simple is, is a really good thing too, because I think for a lot of leaders, and when I say leaders, Josh, what I'm talking about is that I, I class a leader Everybody and you know whether it be a business owner, entrepreneur, they're having to lead themselves and also their teams if they've got them. And I think that's being keeping it simple is really, really quite key for a lot of us. What What do you think is one of the biggest challenges business owners are seeing today? What's one of their biggest challenges? Well, I think their biggest challenge is the speed of life right now. The speed of life, maybe in a physical world, has stayed the same, but the speed of life, the digital world, has grown exponentially. Right. And so even if the owner or the leader is able to block themselves off or set up certain boundaries to protect themselves from those levels of distraction, the people they're leading probably are not (laughs) blocked off from that. So they have to lead people who are, they're addicted to dopamine. They're addicted to chains. They're addicted to flashing lights and, and bells and whistles. And so how do you take people who are so distracted and so distributed and get them to move in a straight line? And that's a difficult thing. I, that, it wasn't like that before. And so I think that's probably the, the biggest shift. So you know how you mentioned before about your story around leaving where you were, the global financial crisis, I think it would have been the period of time. So how did you get into leadership or how did you get into into, into this? How, how did you actually, did you fall into it or did it actually, how did it happen? Yeah, every aspect of leadership, I think I've, I've fallen into, not purposely. And then after I fall into it, I have to figure out what to do. So I got married in my 20s. I had to figure out, oh, now I have to leave my family. Okay, now I have kids in my early 20s. Now I've got to figure out how to lead kids. <laughs> and so every aspect of way, it was like, wow, I probably should read some books. I probably should study this. And then it was, okay, now I'm running my own company. I probably should figure out how to lead that. And so it's definitely been a, maybe the reverse order of what people probably should do. <laughs> maybe they should uh, know what they're doing before they jump in, but that has not been my case. It's definitely been you jump in and then you figure out 
maybe through mistakes and also through reading a bunch of books, how to, to lead. And so, you know, we're going through that right now in our business from me being the only, only coach and consultant out there helping companies to now having over 30 people getting certified in our methodology. And so how do I lead them? How do I guide them? How do I, you know, serve them is a new shift and evolution for our business. And so. One of the aspects of leading is being able to grow yourself, right? <laughs> the more you grow, the more you're going to be able to help others. And so I think it's a, it never ends. And I think that to, to think you've arrived as a leader is probably when you start falling as a leader. Hey, Nick, we've just given the listeners a brief background about you. Tell us more about you. Is there anything else you want to share with us? Yeah, sure. Look, um, I was born in, in Fiji Islands. I've been raised in, in New Zealand. So I guess, you know, going back uh, when I was a wee lad, a uh, very keen sportsman, played a lot of rugby school and at club level, um, and then really hustled my way into an unpaid biomedical engineering internship uh, whilst I was completing my last year of my degree. That was really my breakthrough into the healthcare industry. So I've been very fortunate and worked with some really leading class, world-class medical device and healthcare companies over the last 20 years. Married to my beautiful wife, uh, she really doubles as a, as a sounding board and a life coach to me a lot of the time. And together we've raised a beautiful little girl, uh, Nishaya, who's 10 years old. So she's a special needs child born with a very rare genetic syndrome. But, you know, we always made a promise to ourselves, despite, you know, a lot of the challenges that she goes through, wife and I always promised that, you know, we'd do our absolute best. And that's what really drives me every day. So, you know, I live by this motto to do something every day to better healthcare for the most vulnerable. Oh, very cool. That's that's nice way of putting it. Thank you for sharing that. Nick, how did you get into leadership? It was very fortunate. I um, I started managing when I was very young in my early 20s, uh, back when I was a biomedical engineering manager. And I had a role where I was really doing a lot more than what the role was. Uh, so I really started to lobby and when hospital contracts, looking at building relationships, networking, sort of established myself as an authority in that space. And what happened at that sort of phase, it caught the eye of one of our competitors who was a little bit smaller, but they were climbing and becoming bigger. So instead of fighting me, they decided to approach me and offer me a new opportunity. So it was a pure play sales and business leadership role with focus to scale the business, uh, manage and upskill his staff and introduce new verticals. So I took on the new role. Uh, delivered the results pretty quickly and more importantly, it helped me realize what my calling was. And I guess the rest is, is history. So what is your calling? I think where I sort of find myself and you know, a lot of the time there's, there's a buzzword that gets thrown around at the moment, entrepreneur. So it's different from an entrepreneur where the entrepreneur really has the skin in the game. They co-found a lot of the, the businesses, whereas the entrepreneur is really the, the same sort of mindset, but they obviously haven't developed the company, but they run the business like it's their, their own. And I think that's where I sort of come in and the, the skill set that I bring, I can jump into most of the businesses, particularly in healthcare, quickly assess you know what's going on and then look at uh, different verticals, different opportunities within the business to, to build out their scope and, and look at uh, greener fields. Yeah, excellent. That's, that's a really great skill to be able to go and do that, right? And look at organizations. So tell me something, when you say about the entrepreneurship side of things, entrep- entrepreneur rather than entrepreneur. It's, and you said it's almost like running your own business, even though it's not your own business. It's, uh, I think for me, it sounds like to me that it's about somebody who's taking care of the business. And I don't know about you, Nick, but I've seen a lot of organizations spend dollars, leaders have spent dollars, and it's not their money, but they've gone and wasted money. Is that what you're talking about? Is that what you mean? Absolutely. I think, you know, the way I sort of classify leaders, they're two prongs, so two buckets. There's ones that are called short-term leaders. Uh, so they really are really concerned about quick turnarounds, quick gains, uh, really to make themselves look good. And I call them short-term leaders, but a lot of the time their tenures aren't really short-term. 
uh, whereas the wholesome leaders are the ones that are really hard to come by, but they actually are the ones that take care, nurture the business, uh, really look after their staff, customers. They're quite ethical. And I guess their, their point of view is really, you know, it's, it's long term. Um, and they're obsessed with, with making sure that they can retain the talent in the, in the company and continue it in the right trajectory. So did you say short term and wholesome? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I like that. I like that. Short term leaders versus wholesome leaders. And uh, it's more of the long term side of things. And it's probably like the whole sort of packaged scenario. And I love it. I, I think it's really good. Wow, listeners, think next time that you are going to show up as a leader. What kind of energy are you going to bring to the meeting, to the table, to the scenario, the situation, to the discussion? Because you see, energy is your currency. And how you show up plays a big part in helping you move forward in the organization, in your business, within your team, and so forth. Wonderful to bring you three wonderful guests from 227, Mel Engel, 228, Josh Fonga, and 230, Nick Sharma. I'm going to really highly encourage you to go and listen to those episodes and take notes because they're wonderful insights that those three guests have shared with us on the Leadership is Changing podcast. If you're really enjoying these podcasts, we would love you to do one thing, and that is to go on to, if you're listening to on Apple, go and put a review and a rating for the podcast. Rating would be out of five. So if it's a five, put a five star and then write a review as well. This is going to really help the impact and the visibility of the podcast. Now, if you're on Spotify listening to this, Spotify has just recently launched the ability to actually put a rating for a podcast. So feel free to go and do that as well if you're on the Spotify side of things. Trust that you're enjoying the highlights and I look forward to bringing you some more soon. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 